Well, we continue to think together about this theme of spiritual warfare that marks the believer's life from the beginning to the end. And as I thought about that, I thought once again of the Pilgrim's Progress, as we often do at Christ's Fellowship, because there is a passage that I want to begin with this morning where Bunyan just so clearly pictures what spiritual warfare is like in the life of a believer. And it's a long passage, but it's so profound and it's so helpful so insightful that I wanted you to hear it this morning as we think again about this issue of spiritual warfare. Let me read what Bunyan says here. Apollyon, in this scene, Apollyon, who represents Satan or the devil, comes against Christian, who represents a believer, and is seeking to turn him back to the city of destruction. But Christian refuses, and then this is what happens. Then Apollyon broke into a hideous rage, shrieking, I am an enemy to this prince, speaking of Jesus. I hate his person, his laws, and his people. I have purposely come here to stop you. Apollyon, beware of what you do, for I am in the king's highway, the way of holiness. Therefore, take heed to yourself. Then Apollyon straddled himself over the whole breadth of the way and countered, I am void of fear in this matter. Prepare to breathe your last, for I swear by my infernal den that you will go no further. Here will I spill your soul. And with that, he threw a flaming dart at Christian's breast. But Christian had a shield in his hand by which he averted it in its danger. Then Christian drew his sword, for he saw that it was time to make a stand. And Apollyon quickly advanced on Christian, throwing darts as thick as hail. Christian did all he could to avoid being struck, yet he could not prevent Apollyon from wounding him in his head, his hand, and his foot. These wounds caused Christian to falter a little, and Apollyon advanced even more. Finally, Christian found new courage and resisted as manfully as he could. This mortal combat lasted for about half a day until Christian grew weaker and weaker because of his many wounds. Then Apollyon, spying his opportunity, began to move closer to Christian, wrestling with him until Christian fell to the ground. And with that, Christian's sword flew out of his hand. Then said Apollyon, I have you now, and almost crushed Christian to death so that Christian began to despair of life. But as God would have it, while Apollyon lifted himself up to deliver his last blow, making a full end of this good man, Christian nimbly stretched out his hand for his sword and grabbed it, saying, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise back up. And with that, Christian gave Apollyon a deadly thrust, which made the fiend fall back as one who had received a mortal wound. Christian, seeing his advantage, thrust his sword at him again, saying, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. When he heard these words, Apollyon spread out his dragon wings and flew away, and Christian saw him no more. In this combat, no man can imagine, unless he had seen and heard as I did, what yelling and hideous roaring Apollyon made all the time of the fight. He spoke like a dragon. And on the other side, what sighs and groans burst from Christian's heart. I never saw him all the while give so much as one pleasant look, till he perceived he had wounded Apollyon with his two-edged sword. Then indeed he did smile. And look upward. But it was the most dreadful fight that I ever saw. Now, I love that scene because it teaches us so many important truths about the spiritual warfare that we are involved in as those who follow Jesus. It teaches us that we have a real personal enemy, fallen angel, we call Satan, who opposes believers and seeks to destroy us. We learn that we will experience spiritual conflict as we follow Jesus in this world. So if you've become a Christian and you wonder why all of a sudden life is so much harder, it's because you've entered into warfare, and don't be surprised by that. 
we learn that the spiritual conflict will be intense and wearying, and it will be desperately hard. It is, after all, war. It is, after all, a battle, a fight. But above all, we learn this, and this is what I think is so hopeful about this passage. We learn that we have absolutely every resource we need to fight. God has given us everything that we need to fight. We've been given what Paul calls the whole armor of God, and these are spiritual resources that we can use to defeat Satan. So just as Christian was able to use the shield and the sword to counteract and to fight against Apollyon, if we use the armor of God, we can be victorious over Satan. And we began to study that armor last week, and we're going to continue our study of that this morning. As we continue to look at a book of Ephesians, last week we looked at the study of the whole armor of God by beginning to look at the belt of truth and by the breastplate of righteousness. And we said that the belt of truth really represented kind of objective truth or true truth. It's God's perspective on the world. And so what God wants us to do is he wants us to be able to discern truth from falsehood. And that happens as we study God's word, which is truth. And it happens as we pray for wisdom, as we walk through our lives, and as we seek counsel from other believers, we're able to begin to see things the way God sees them. That is wisdom, and it allows us to live in a world that is marked by falsehood. Are you noticing how much falsehood there is in the world? Well, just as the belt freed a Roman soldier to fight, so knowing the truth frees us to fight in a world that's marked by lies. We said the breastplate of righteousness is not our righteousness. Many people have thought that it is, that our spiritual warfare is to go out and to do our best and to do good works, and indeed, we should do that. But the problem is, is that our righteousness is never enough. It's always going to be mixed with sin. And so if we're trying to present our righteousness to Satan as kind of the source of protection for our soul, it won't work. He'll be able to point to many, many ways that we have failed. We have a better righteousness, and that's the righteousness of Christ that covers us. And it's perfect. Jesus's righteousness was perfect, and now that has been given to us by faith. And so when Satan attacks us, he attacks our character. We're able to point him not to us, but we're able to point him to Jesus and say, Jesus covers me, and Satan has no answer that he can make to that. And so we are victorious in that battle, and this morning we're going to look at two more pieces of the armor. We're going to be looking at the shoes of the readiness given by the gospel of peace that you see in verse 15, and we're going to be studying what Paul calls the shield of faith in verse 16. And from these two pieces of armor, we're going to learn, Lord willing, two truths that will help us as we engage in spiritual warfare. So two truths that we'll see from verses 15 and 16 this morning. In spiritual warfare, first, in spiritual warfare, believers must be firmly grounded in the gospel. In spiritual warfare, believers must be firmly grounded in the gospel. And then the second truth we'll learn, Lord willing, is that in spiritual warfare, believers are protected by faith. We're protected by faith. Let's look at that first truth together this morning. In spiritual warfare, believers must be firmly grounded in the truth of the gospel. Look again at verse 15. Paul says, "...in the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace." So now we've talked about the belt of truth, and we've talked about the breastplate of righteousness. Now Paul begins to talk about shoes. What are these shoes? Well, Remember, all throughout this section of Ephesians, Paul is using this picture really of a Roman soldier and kind of the outfit of a Roman soldier, the armor of a Roman soldier. That's what's before him in his mind's eyes. He's writing this. And the shoes that Roman soldiers wore were called collegae, collegae. And really, they were sandals. 
they were sandals. They had thick leather soles, and they had leather straps that would kind of wrap around the, the calf of the soldier to hold those sandals in place. But most importantly, these sandals had hobnails or nails that would be pressed through the bottom. And so the sandals, when they were on tight, they were, they were able to press into the ground. They dug into the ground. And so the soldier had a much steadier footing for battle. He couldn't easily be pushed around because he had on these shoes that were specially designed for warfare. And notice what Paul compares the shoes to. He says, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The word readiness there, really, it, it speaks of preparedness, of being ready, of being prepared for something. And many pastors and, and commentators, when you see that, and particularly when you combine it with the gospel, they assume that what Paul's saying is that as a part of our spiritual warfare, we want to be ready, we want to be quick to share the gospel of peace. Now, it's true that we should be ready and quick to share the gospel of peace. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So that is true, but I don't think that's Paul's emphasis here. I don't think he's talking particularly at this point about evangelism. Notice he doesn't say, having put on the readiness to proclaim the gospel of peace. He says, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So somehow, the gospel of peace gives the believer a readiness, a preparedness, and the question is, for what? What are we ready for? What are we prepared for? And when you look at the context of this passage, the only possible answer is ready and prepared for spiritual warfare, ready and prepared to fight. This readiness to fight that's given by the gospel of peace. So the, the shoes of the Roman soldier were designed so that he had this steady footing so that he could stand and, and fight and resist. In the same way, Paul's saying that the gospel of peace gives believers this stability, this steadiness that enables us to fight spiritual battle. So here's my question. What is the gospel of peace? It's this glorious message that we preach at Christ Fellowship every week. The gospel of peace is the good news of Jesus Christ. Again, if you don't know what that word gospel means, it simply means good news. Christianity at its heart is this message, this proclamation of good news, and it's good news of peace. You know, the Bible teaches that we were created by God, that God himself is a good and holy God. He made us. He loves us. He desired to have a relationship with us that would be marked by love and obedience. But our first parents, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. They rejected his rule in their life and instead decided that they would live for themselves that they would be the king or queen of their own lives. And so they did that. They disobeyed. They sinned against God. And we sinned in them. And because we come from them, we've all inherited that same kind of sinful nature, which looks like rebelling against and pushing back against the authority of God. We've all done that from our earliest days. We've all done that same kind of rebellion that we saw in the life of Adam and Eve. Our desires conflict with God, and so we do what we want. Our desires also conflict with others. And so we've all sinned against others for that same reason. The Bible calls this sin. And the Bible says that sin is serious because what sin does is it puts us in opposition against God. Really, the Bible speaks of it as warfare. And the Bible makes it very, very clear that it's a war that we are not able to win. By nature, from birth, we do not have peace with God. And if we were to die, if we were to die and we were still in our sins, 
we would have no hope to stand before a holy God and say, hey, you know, I've done a good enough job that you should let me into heaven. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no way to be good enough for God. Friend, there's no work you can do that will make you acceptable to God. The Bible says from the very beginning, we have all failed to live that kind of life. It seems like there's no good news, but then there is. There's this gospel, and it's a gospel of peace. You see, God, in his matchless wisdom, has made a way to make peace with those who were opposed to him. Because he loves us. Because he's good. The Father sent his Son into the world. The eternal Son of God became a man. He lived among us, flesh and blood, always perfectly fulfilling the will of his Father, always perfectly loving others and serving others. What was he doing? He, he was living the life that we should have lived, but we failed to live. He was living perfectly. He was giving us this righteousness that we talked about last week because we lacked that righteousness. And then when the time was right, he laid down his life on the cross as a sacrifice. He was bearing in himself the wrath of God against the sins of all who turn from their sins and trust in him. He died, but then what? He rose from the dead. And that's this victory that you'll hear us talk about at Christ Fellowship. The victory is Christ's victory. We're invited into that victory by faith. You see, all who turn from their sins and trust in Jesus, well, here's what happens. Jesus becomes their Savior. All of their sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, all wiped away, all thrown into a sea of forgetfulness, the Bible says. It's an amazing truth. All your sins, friend, completely forgiven through Jesus. And here, this is what happens. You get covered with the righteousness of Christ, which means God looks at you as if you live Jesus' life. And the result of that is this. Before you were at warfare with God, but now through Jesus, you have peace with God. And that's an amazing thing. You see, God is the one who reconciles us to himself. He does everything necessary. And our part is to respond, to trust in him, and to enter into this peace that God offers. So it is the gospel of peace. It's the good news of peace of what God has done for us through Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about here. So this gospel of peace is this reality then that gives us stability we need to engage in spiritual warfare. So well, what does that look like? Well, it looks like you and I living our lives, right? We're, we're living our lives, we're going along, but then remember we have a real personal enemy who comes to assault us. We don't have to seek him out. He's seeking us out, and he comes along, and he does. He begins to assault us. He tells us how sinful we are. He tells us how many times we've failed. He points to our lousy track record of obedience, and who here doesn't have a lousy track record of obedience? And here's the thing. If we are not rooted in the gospel of peace, which means this, if we do not know and embrace at a very deep level the reality that God is not against us, but no, now in Jesus, God is for us, we'll be shaken. We'll become afraid. We'll lose our spiritual stability. We can even give up and stop fighting. But if we know this gospel of peace, if deep down we know that through the death of Jesus, we have peace with God, then we have the resource we need to press on because we know God is for us. It is an amazing thing to know that God is not angry with us this morning. He's poured all the wrath out on Jesus. There's none left for us. It's an amazing thing to think that the perfect God of eternity is not in any way dissatisfied with those of us who are in Christ this morning because Jesus has offered a perfectly satisfying life and death in our place. It is an amazing thing to consider this morning that God does not regret his decision to save us. Maybe 
you came through the door this morning feeling like God was having some second thoughts about you. Friend, if you're trusting in Jesus, he loves you. You have peace with him. Glorious, glorious gospel of peace. And being grounded in that truth is what gives us stability to be able to press on when we face the assaults of the enemy. So let me give you one application before we move on. We must be, brothers, sisters, we must be firmly grounded in the truths of the gospel. We have to think about it. We have to meditate on it. We have to chew on it. We have to to let it kind of percolate in our thinking and realize what it means that we are saved, right? In other words, the way to put on the shoes of the readiness given by the gospel of peace is to meditate deeply on the truths of the gospel so that we are enabled to stand in spiritual warfare. Here's the reality. Many professing Christians, they're not. They're not thinking deeply about these truths. They understand that they've been forgiven by God. Praise God. What a good thing to understand. And yet they don't press in. They don't press more deeply into what it is that God has accomplished for us in Christ. They haven't thought deeply about the love the Father displayed when he sent his Son to die for us while we were his enemies so that we could become his friends. And so Satan comes along and he points to trying circumstances in their lives and he says, see, this is going wrong in your life. God must not love you. And what happens? Well, they're shaken by that. They haven't thought deeply about the fact that God poured out all of his wrath on the Son. So now there's no wrath left for us. And so when Satan comes along and points to things are done and says, God is angry with you for your sin, they're shaken by that reality. They haven't thought deeply about what it means to be perfectly forgiven, that in the eyes of God, there is no stain, there is no marring in this record. No, Jesus has purchased a perfect forgiveness for them that covers all of their sin and also brings them to a place where the believer can at any time confess his or her sin and receive fresh forgiveness, which looks like just a renewed intimacy with the fathers. First John Chapter 1, verse 9, this wonderful relationship that we have. And instead, because they haven't grasped what the forgiveness of God means, they run away from God and they try to clean themselves up for a while instead of running to God and having God clean them up, which is what we need to do. You see, a lack of a rootedness in the gospel means that we're not going to have the stability we need to stand and fight and engage in spiritual warfare in the way that we need. But, on the contrary, those Christians who are firmly grounded in the gospel, this doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen by reading a book. It happens by walking with Jesus for years, and by reading God's word, and meditating on the truth of God's word. Those people who are firmly grounded in the truth of the gospel, what they have on the shoes of the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So when Satan comes and says, God doesn't love you, The Christian knows that he can look at the cross, and the cross proves that God loves us. Proves it. Satan says, God is angry with you for your sins. These Christians know deep down that the Father did actually pour all of his wrath out on Jesus. There's not a drop left for us. They're not shaken. When Satan accuses them of sin, they're not overwhelmed. Instead, they acknowledge their sin. They confess it for what it is. Instead of running from God, they run to God, which is very much what spiritual maturity looks like. Not playing in sin, but not also hiding from God when we sin. Instead, repenting of sin and going to God and seeking forgiveness, restoration, 
and joy in him. Friend, if you are firmly grounded in the gospel, you won't stumble and fall. You'll have on these shoes of the readiness given by the gospel of peace that will help you engage in the spiritual warfare. And that's what is, Paul is talking about here in verse 15. But then there's a second piece of armor we want to look at this morning, a second truth. In spiritual warfare, believers are protected by faith. So look now at verse 16, your copy of God's word. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So now we've thought together this morning about the stability that the gospel of peace gives us. And in that sense, the, the shoes then, that, you know, this readiness given by the gospel of peace, well, it's another piece of defensive armor. It's something given to us to enable us to stand fast and to resist. And now in verse 16, Paul introduces yet another piece of defensive armor, which is the shield of faith. Now, historians tell us that Roman soldiers actually carried two kinds of shield for combat. One was a, a smaller shield. It was circular. It was about two feet or so in diameter, and it was used for defense in close combat. Someone comes against you with a sword. You'd have your shield. You would block the sword thrust, or you would knock the person over with the shield. It was this close combat type piece of armor to defend you in close combat, but there's another kind of shield that Roman soldiers used. It was called the scutum. Now, the scutum is a larger shield. It's about four feet tall. It's about two and a half feet wide. It was designed so that the soldier could hide behind it. He could be completely hidden behind this shield so that he would not be killed by flying arrows. And the shield was also, I found this very interesting, it was designed to interlock with other shields so that standing side by side, the soldiers would be able to actually, you know, kind of create this long protective barrier that would protect one another. And most especially, the shields were used to extinguish flaming arrows. And in ancient warfare, they would take arrows, they would dip them in pitch, and then they would you know, light them, and then they'd shoot them. And of course, the fire would spread. Everywhere it hits, it would spread. It would cause great damage, it would cause terror. Some of those arrows could be as long as seven feet, which would be pretty scary coming at you. Now, that's the background that Paul has in mind when he talks about this shield of faith. And again, the picture is of the Christian in combat. The Christian is fighting now, and Satan comes along. Satan is the evil one that Paul speaks of there at the end of verse 16. The evil one, again, a real person. He launches fiery arrows, what Paul calls flaming darts at the believer. Now, what are these arrows? Well, these are the spiritual weapons of our enemy. These arrows that he uses, they are blasphemous thoughts, they're accusations, they're fears, they're temptations to lust and to covet, their proud thoughts, their vain regrets, their unbelief, and other things as well. And all of these arrows are designed to wound the believer in the conscience and in the mind so that the believer will be weakened and shaken and unable to fight. And the goal is to lead the believer into unbelief and to sin. That's what Satan is seeking to do with these arrows, with these darts, and it's very interesting, isn't it, that Paul says that these are flaming. Right? These are flaming or fiery darts. Why? Because, again, fire has this ability to spread. Uh, it, it does great damage. You know, fire has the ability to terrorize as well. And if the, the fiery darts of the enemy are not quickly extinguished, they can do that in the life of a believer, right? So just think about a few pictures. You know, just as fire spreads, so think lustful thoughts, they quickly turn into lustful actions, right? The fire's spreading. Fire terrorizes, 
And in the same way, Satan can so uh, overwhelm a believer with his arrows that that believer, over time, listening to the deceptions, to the accusations, can find himself or herself at wit's end, distraught, desperate, confused, downcast. And the reality is, God's telling us this morning in his word, that Satan has the ability to use these flaming darts to wound and to harm us. So what should we do? What should we do? We'll look at the first part of verse 16. Paul tells us, in all circumstances, means all the time, in every occasion of spiritual warfare, be ready at all time to what? To take up the shield of faith. Paul is telling us that faith, the shield, is the piece of armor that God has given us to protect us in the midst of spiritual combat with our enemy, Satan. So we must use faith to counteract the attack of Satan. Now, there's so much here. There's a lot more that we can say about this than we have time to say this morning. But I want us to look deeper into this verse, and I want us to do that by asking and then answering three questions about this shield of faith. And the first question is this, what does Paul mean by faith? So you have the shield of faith. Well, what is that referring to? What is faith after all? That's what Paul says, verse 16, faith is compared to a shield. What does he mean? Well, sometimes as you read through your Bible, you're going to see that word faith, and it actually speaks of the, like a capital F faith or the doctrines of Christianity, most especially the gospel. It's talking about the truths that we read about, that we believe. That's called the faith, but that's not what Paul is speaking of here. Paul is actually talking about our personal faith, our personal faith in God. So what is that? What is personal faith? that we're talking about. Faith is one of those things that Christians talk about a lot. We use the word a lot, but we can't always define it. It's more difficult for us to really understand what we mean by faith. And it's very interesting in our culture, much of what we're told to do is have faith in faith. Just believe in something. It doesn't matter what you believe in. You just need to be sincere and believe in something. That's not Christianity. Christianity says that faith is a resting trust. That's what it is. It's a resting trust. And here's the thing. Faith has to have an object something I'm trusting in, most especially someone I'm trusting in. And that's what faith is. It's a trust in God. It's a trust in his character. It's a trust in his word. So, so just to give a, a very basic example we've used before, uh, just think about the example of a chair. Now, we all see chairs all around us. Many of you are sitting in chairs. And what that means is you are actually exercising faith in that chair. You see, I can say that I have faith in a chair. I can say that I believe that that chair right there is strong enough to hold my weight, but I'm not exercising faith in that chair until I sit in the chair, and indeed, until I let it hold all of my weight. Only then am I resting and trusting in a way that the Bible describes of as faith, and that, brothers and sisters, is what we are called to do with God. We're called to, as it were, put all of our weight on Him, to rest in Him, to trust in Him, to believe his word implicitly, to rest our hearts on his character. And Paul says that when we do that, when we put faith in God, it's like this shield that is able to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. So how does faith extinguish, second question, how does faith extinguish the enemy's flaming darts? Well, again, look at this picture, verse 16. The Christian soldier there is fighting. Uh, he's resisting as best he can or as best as she can the assault of the enemy, but Satan picks a, a dart, a thought, 
a sinful thought or a malevolent accusation or perhaps it's a crippling doubt about the truthfulness of God and God's word and shoots it at the believer. And here's what happens. If the believer does not block that dart, it will land and it will wound. And what that will look like is it will look like it will look like pride setting in or doubt setting in or fear setting in or lust setting in. That's the picture we have. But if the Christian lifts up the shield of faith and blocks that dart, that thought, that accusation, that lust, that temptation to pride, and says no, well, then the believer is protected in the same way that a shield knocks away an arrow and the arrow falls harmlessly to the ground. So let's get a bit more practical. What does it look like in our daily life for us to lift up the shield of faith? What does this really practically look like? Well, think about this. Think about a time in your life when you were just living your life, you were, you know, just doing something in the midst of a day, and all of a sudden, what seemed to be out of nowhere, you had a thought. You know, perhaps it was uh, a doubt about God. Perhaps it was a temptation to lust or a temptation to pride, and, and, and you weren't quite sure what happened. Where did that come from? Well, in all likelihood, what happened is you just entered spiritual combat. And the enemy is at work, and he's throwing in a fiery dart into your life, trying to wound you. Where does the thought come from? Paul's saying we actually have an enemy, and this enemy is able to fire in these flaming darts. So what are we supposed to do? Well, again, we are supposed to actively reject the thought. But here's the thing. We actively reject the thought by putting faith in God's character and God's word. It's not just a no, it's a, what does the Bible say about God? What does the Bible say about his word that answers that arrow, that answers that thought? So let me give you some examples. Satan comes along and he sends an error of accusation that sounds like you're worthless or you're a failure at the Christian life or you're shameful. Well, what should you do? In that moment, you should resist. Yeah, how do you resist? Well, you believe what God has said in his word, that God accepts you in Christ. You listen to what God says in Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17, where, where the Bible says that God rejoices over you with loud singing. That's an amazing thing. Or Satan sends an arrow of lust, which might be some immoral image or some immoral urge. What do you do? You lift up the shield of faith. How? By remembering that your eyes were created not for cheap, tawdry, passing beauty, but your eyes were designed and created for true beauty. They're made for that. And so you reject the lust. You reject that thought. And instead, you embrace the truth of Isaiah 33:17. Your eyes will behold the king and his beauty. They will see a land that stretches afar. And you realize that that is far better. It's far better. Satan sends an arrow of fear, which sounds like you're going to lose your job or, or you're not going to have enough money or you're going to fail. And in that moment, you lift up the shield of faith. How? By remembering that this entire book is really just a catalog of God faithfully providing for his people. And not one of his people ever lacks the provision of God. He cares for all of them all the way home. And you know that God will provide for you as well. And you trust in that. You rest in that. Where Satan shoots in an error of regret, reminding you of ways that you failed in the past. And which of us doesn't have those? Things we've done, words we've said, that we regret that are so painful. 
He shoots that in. What do we do? In that moment, we lift up the shield of faith by trusting God's word, which God says that God will cast all of our sins into a sea of forgetfulness. And he has done that. He's already done that in Christ. We embrace that truth by faith. Satan shoots an arrow of intellectual doubt, which sounds like, is Jesus really God? Is the Bible really true? What I've heard all my life, is this really real? In that moment, we lift up the shield of faith by trusting what Jesus says. When Jesus says, your word is not just true, but it's truth. And we embrace that testimony. Christ fellowship, these are only some of Satan's flaming darts. He shoots prideful thoughts. He shoots temptations to self-harm. He shoots blasphemous thoughts. He shoots temptations to doubt your salvation. And spiritual warfare in those moments looks like lifting up the shield of faith by resisting the thought and by embracing by faith the truth of God that answers the thought. And so you're resting yourself in the character of God. It's very practical, isn't it? But it takes practice. See, this is something we have to learn how to do. And the only way to learn to use the shield of faith is to face the arrows. It's the only way you learn how to fight. And so that's what God does. It's hard, but God is good. He permits us to struggle so that we learn how to fight. So maybe right now you're struggling and you realize you're not doing this. What should you do? You should praise God for the gospel. You should seek him for grace. And you should begin again by lifting up the shield of faith and continuing to learn to fight because that's what God's doing. He's permitting you to struggle because he wants you to learn to fight. So may he do that good work in us. May he give us strength and wisdom that we need to use this shield well. Now, let me give you just two kind of brief applications as we bring the sermon to a close this morning, kind of thinking again about the shield of faith and and how we should understand this aspect of spiritual warfare. The first application is this. We must realize that not every thought that comes into our head is from us. We must realize that we have a real enemy who attacks us in the realm of the mind. Satan, he tries to trip us up here. One of his games is kind of, as it were, to come behind us and to shoot in the arrow subtly. And he can, maybe, he can even make it seem like the thoughts are coming from us. Again, Bunyan pictures this well in the Pilgrim's Progress, just a little after the battle that we read at the beginning of this sermon. He continues on through this dark valley, and in the darkness he becomes confused And the enemy takes the opportunity to come up and to attack him. Again, this is what Bunyan said. He said, by this time, I noticed that poor Christian was so confounded that he did not recognize his own voice. Just when he came near the mouth of the burning pit, one of the wicked ones stepped up softly behind him and whispered many grievous blasphemies to him, which Christian truly thought had come from his own mind. It grieved Christian more than anything that he met with before to think that he should now blaspheme him whom he loved, though in truth, listen, Christian had not done it. And that's insightful. And we need to understand that not every thought that comes into our mind is from us. Some of it is, but some of it is from an enemy, an enemy who's cunning. If we haven't considered that, if we haven't considered that we are not always the source of all of our thoughts, we will become discouraged. Instead, we should consider this, that if the thoughts are unwanted and unsought for, 
the likelihood is that the, the thoughts actually are from the enemy. That's the likelihood. And the responsibility we have in that moment is what? It's to lift the shield of faith so that we can extinguish those flaming arrows. I have talked with believers in my life who were almost driven crazy because they couldn't stop having particular thoughts and they wondered, what's wrong with me? Why am I like this? And they hadn't stopped to think that actually, no, the Bible teaches that we have an enemy that shoots in flaming darts. And if he finds a hole in the armor, what's he going to do? He's going to keep launching the arrows there, launching there. So what do we have to do? We have to learn to fight. We have to learn to lift up the shield in that place, trusting in the truth of God and in the truth of his word, knowing that in that way we are doing spiritual warfare. You see, they were thinking the problem was them, that they were the source of all of these images and impressions and temptations, and so they were despairing. Instead, they should have been fighting. Should have been fighting. And that's what God would have us to do. He would have us resist. There's a second application we need to make this morning. We must realize that we are to work together in this fight. Now, I get this from the shield, right? The shield is designed not just to be by itself. It works by itself, but it's also designed what? To interlock with the shields of others, which means we are to help one another's faith. We're to encourage and strengthen one another in our faith. And what that means is there will be times in my life where my faith will be weak and my shield will be lowered and I'll be vulnerable. And what I'll need in that moment is for you to come alongside me and interlock your shield with mine and lift it up and help me believe so I can keep fighting. And there'll be times when I'll need to do the same thing for you. We have to fight this spiritual warfare together. That, by the way, is a very good reason to become a, a committed member of a local church where you have others who are committed to being a part of your life in that way, helping you fight so that you don't end up standing against Satan alone. It's a very good reason to do that. So now we've considered two more pieces of armor this morning, these truths that we need to be deeply rooted in the gospel, that we need to be protected by faith. We've seen this from God's word. I hope we've been encouraged by it. To know that we have shoes that are given by the readiness of the gospel of peace. We can stand firm knowing that God is for us. And we have the shield of faith which we can lift up and extinguish all the flaming arrows of the enemy. And Lord willing, we'll continue our study of the armor of God next week. And in the meantime, he's going to give us opportunities to practice. So let's pray for one another. And let's fight hard in this week. Let's pray. God, we thank you that your word speaks to us. And it helps us understand what we experience in this world. Often we're confused and we don't understand our own thoughts and our own emotions. Lord, but we thank you that you give us insight here. Lord, that you're for us in Christ, that we have peace with God. And we thank you, Lord, for the insight we have that by faith, by trusting in your name and your character, we are able to quench all the flaming darts of the enemy. And we pray in this coming week, Lord, as we face trials and difficulties and warfare, that you will help us, God, to fight and help us to stand firm. Lord, be honored in that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.